When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, and we are opening the show with some breaking news this evening as Mafia boss Matteo Messina is arrested and taken into jail, giving Antonio Conte maybe another route of employment, although judging from yesterday, both attacking and defending against hostile forces doesn't seem to be his forte. (laughs) And for the first time ever in this pod, we actually very nearly got something right. Not why I'm saying this, but I had a bold prediction this weekend. I think this weekend is going to be where we get all the upsets, right? So I think Fulham are going to win. I think Napoli are going to win. I think Arsenal are going to win. God damn it, that's going to bite me in the ass. I think United are going to win. And I think the upset in Serie A this, this weekend is going to be Lecce. I think it's going wow. to be 1-0. I'm going to put Strefetza as the goal scorer. Oh, okay. Um, Guys, we were so close. Welcome to the Anglo-Italian pod. As always, my name is Rory. We are going to go through all those results, but I'm joined by both my good friends this time. Andy, United winning your back. What's happened? (laughs) (laughs) It's coincidental timing, isn't it? Uh, No, I'm quite happy to have like a month of uh, nonsense out the way. I'm delighted to be back in the pod with you boys. I've missed you. Mate, Mm. it's great to have you back. Uh, Three's company, right? That's that's the saying. And Adam... How are you doing, mate? Good weekend. Saw you were at yeah. Adams Park this weekend. That's what it's called. Right? I was yeah. indeed. Yes, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Taking my good friend Craig and John Anderson to the match for the very first time. So, uh, yeah, they enjoyed themselves despite the result. Uh, capacity crowd there at Adams Park. And, yeah, we had a few drinks, it has to be said. And as you can tell, a bit of a fresh trim as well oh. to uh, make sure I get the chills now in the UK <laughs> because we are dropping below zero again. So, oh. typical timing. But uh, how keep about- your, your weekend more importantly mate um no, i was good man i had a very good weekend i had to work saturday which is a bit of a ball late but came back just in time for the manchester derby um and then sunday obviously was just like it was kind of perfect because the weather was terrible in milan so it was like the perfect excuse to do nothing so i've just watched football the entire weekend and it was just capped off by arsenal and then once that happened I didn't really have any interest in any other football after that. I was like, I want the Arsenal podcasts now, right now. (laughs) But I did see friends of the show, Tommy, had a few beers with him, enjoyed the game. His flat is a bit of a good luck charm at the moment. Every time I've watched a game around there, we've done very well. So I'm going to be going there next weekend, Andy, just to give you a heads up. Going to be heading there next weekend. (laughs) Um, But we are going to start off with Serie A. And we're going to start, there's only one place to start. And we finished our last show with a quote by Spalletti about how they ha- how Napoli have to play beautiful football. Juve don't have to. Well, mm. play beautifully and win by Spalletti. That's how you do it. They absolutely ran riot in Naples. I've honestly not seen a Juve team that far off it for a very long time. There was moments, <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking of McKenney where it looked utterly embarrassing. 
Um, Adam, I'm going to go with you first. Your impressions of this game. What a great start to the weekend. Yeah, incredible start to the weekend. I didn't think it would be that easy for Napoli. Mm. I thought it'd be a bit tight. And certainly I thought Juventus would probably do that kind of 11 man behind ball, but they kind of were a bit more expansive, I thought, especially down the wings. But then again, that goes down to Allegri's tactics. I mean, putting Kostic and Chiesa, I mean, of all people, Chiesa as a right wing back, just <laughs> asking for trouble, aren't you? He would do the job, don't get me wrong, but he's not the player to play at right wing back. He should be further up the field, not having mm-hmm. to worry about defensive duties. And they were just calamitous at the back at times, like despite the kind of, I think they had their moment, should we say. Di Maria seems fired up for this. He hit the crossbar at one point as well from a speculative shot, it has to be said. But largely, other than that, though, I thought Napoli were very much in control. Kvarat Kelia had a ball, as did Osserman. So, I mean, perfect weekend. We were just kind of saying how beautiful it was when the goals were flying through. I just couldn't believe it. For once, I felt sorry for Wojciech Chesney, which I don't say very often on this pod. So, <laughs> well, there you go. There's only so much he could do. You can't stop exactly. the tide. Like, if you know what I mean, there's only so much he could do. But I'm pretty sure my neighbours now think I'm a Napoli fan by the amount <laughs> I screamed when those awesome end goals went in. Um, unbelievable. But Andy, what did you think of Napoli? I think after the Inter loss, this is a huge, huge statement. They've like their record in the big games is massive now really good record what did you make of Napoli I think they're brilliant and so I think what was impressive that over the years I've seen them you know have these big games against Juventus and invariably come up short almost every single time you go into the start of the game and I think Juventus were one of their like third I think it was their third longest run without conceding a goal they, they've gone about roughly about six mm. or seven games out conceding a single goal with Serie A. Like, we're at the point where Allegri was collecting his P45 and suddenly he's turned it round again. Mm-hmm. Um, so there wasn't really much to suggest the scoreline would end up the way it was. And I think what was impressive, um, you know, I think referring to Wojciech Chesney, you can't blame him too much because the first, the save he made for Ozehan just before Ozehan's opener was fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not really his fault no one picks up. <laughs> Chiesa's just stood there looking yeah, at him. Like, I just don't, I just don't, under, I just don't understand. He's the biggest, you know, he's the biggest threat, you know, both in terms of stature and in terms of ability, uh, in terms of goals. And you just nobody picking up on a couple of different occasions. Um, but I thought what was impressive is that, you know, obviously, you, you they didn't turn up, but I think the one player who did turn up was uh, uh, Di Maria. I think he's mm, the only yeah. one who seemed to turn up and do some business. Obviously, he hit the bar in the first half, yeah. A couple of good chances. Yeah. The goal we scored was still a nice, nice finish. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a point where there was nearly an own goal um, that Napoli scored, and that was the sort of thing where had that gone in, maybe, maybe that could have been like a turning point. But and also when it went to two one, I thought, oh, here we go. Uh, I imagine you probably did the same as well. It's got to two one, you thought, oh, here we go. It's going to go a little bit belly up here, but yeah. they've um, they just they just come back, and I think maybe compared to. Um, Previous previous years, it just got a bit more quality in terms of you know that finish from Ramani, lovely little finish there, and you know obviously Caracciavella. Yeah, I don't know what more we could say to him, but he's defining what it means to be a big game player of just being well, very decisive was, in the key moments. This and there was question marks over him. All of a sudden, people were saying after his inter performance and the game after that I want to say he got completely marked out of the game people were like is he going to turn up for the big games 
Well, this mm-hmm. game, he absolutely cooked Juventus on that wing. They could not deal with him at all. It was beautiful to watch. Um, and it's what we've seen from the first half of the season. I think that will get him back into form because he mm-hmm. did have a bit of a dip. I think after the World Cup, yeah. people were like, and in myself, I was thinking, oh, maybe he's just, he's gonna, he's had that good patch. Maybe the second half he'll be quieter, but he's absolutely ruined Juventus there. And I think Andy makes a really good point. Their defending was absolutely. <laughs> abysmal. abysmal I don't know yeah. for a team that's gone from not conceding for over 630 minutes to then concede five in 90 minutes that's quite <laughs> the turnaround with the same people with the same players yeah. same back five back eight or whatever it is like we play <laughs> that's quite the turnaround but I think I think it's what happens when you have six or seven players all collectively not performing at the same mm-hmm. time yeah, you know yeah, you yeah. can have games yeah. where maybe one or two people are not in it which is fine you can just sub them out and put mm-hmm. somebody else on but I think again Deba reassigned I think pretty much everybody was having a bit of a stinker yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I think I think you've, the best thing for Juventus would be put it behind <clears> them as quickly as possible I thought Milik had a good game, though. Mm. Uh, granted, you know, he kind of did one touches and he was mainly trying to hold up the ball. But him and Di Maria, that kind of tells you its own story that yeah. up top they were isolated, but they did the best of what they could. The rest of the mm. team, as Andy alludes to, had an absolute stinker. Yeah, well, this is something that Juventus have been really good at, making the most of the chances mm. they do get. They don't create many chances, but when they do, they're usually on target. And I think that Di Maria shot that bounces off the crossbar, mm. if that goes in, it's a very, very, very different yeah. game. Um, but we have to say, Napoli, that is the best football I've seen in Serie A this year. They are the yeah. best footballing team in, in mm. Serie A this year. Some of the triangles and the passages of play they were playing, it yeah. was... They were taking the piss at times. Like it was just that slow, and it was such compact, really quick triangles, and then big, mm. slow triangles. And you could just see the players moving in the patterns. It was beautiful. I think Anguissa was just the guy is a monster. Lobotka has gone from a player who was really struggling to find a place at Napoli to being one of the best creative midfielders and one of the best metronomes in the league. Like, and then there's Osimen, who as a aerial threat there's no one above him in Serie A and that's someone who you'd think after fracturing his eye socket he'd be a bit nervous about sticking (laughs) his head in there but he don't give a shit um and it's just beautiful to see from Napoli now it's 10 points they're now 10 no nine points clear of Milan right and 10 points clear of Juventus um and AFC Finners has come in with the comment it's surely done now if any of the other top Italian teams were ahead by this much, they'd be putting the ribbons on the trophy. For me, that's why they haven't, because it's Napoli. <laughs> they haven't yeah. quite put they the ribbons on the trophy. <laughs> kind of the thing that Arsenal are getting at the moment, it's the, ah, but it's Arsenal, you never know. And with good reason, it's Napoli, you never know. But I think mm. this is, that Juventus game is their biggest test and they've absolutely smashed it. And one point I wanted to bring up as well before I let you two jump in on this comment is if you look at their goal difference, yeah, their goal incredible. difference is nearly double. No, it's exactly double uh, Milan and Juventus, who are the, uh, the only... There's only Lazio on 16, so it's nearly double anyone in the league in terms of goal difference. They are not just beating people, they are battering people. Mm. Um, so I think they are... This is their chance. This is their chance. Um, Adam, what do you think? And I'll go to you, Andy. Yeah, massively. I think this is 
a huge opportunity for Napoli. Um, I don't think they'll have an easy opportunity. I mean, we talked about it last season where they kind of looked like they were going to be trying to challenge this time around. I think they've got a better depth of quality off the bench. Even when you think about Herving Lozano, who didn't come on, for example, mm -hmm. they've got Raspadori, you know, they've got Simeone. Elmas, they've got Elmas, Elmas coming, coming on. Down. You know, that's it. And yeah, the record you allude to, 65 goals after 24 matches, like the best in Europe, isn't it? It's just incredible. Um, so yeah, uh, it is a great opportunity. And I still allude to earlier points that I've made in this pod this season. They have to prioritise something. I yeah. don't think they can go through a whole season doing this and Champions League. There is the possibility, right? There is a good possibility they could do both. But I think if I was a Napoli fan, I'd be going... Let's prioritize the league. Let's just win the league. Let's get it done. And then we can brag about it for the rest yeah. of the year, can't we? So yes. that's what I'll be calling out. What do you what do you think, Andy? I think they've got an outside shout at the Champions League because nobody wants to go to Naples. But what do you yes. think of the Scudetto chances now? I very high. I think um with with a bit like what Adam said, I think compared to previous years, you know, back in the days of uh because Gonzalo he was smashed in 40 a season. Mm you always felt there were a couple of injuries away from a bit of a meltdown whereas um you know they've shown already that they're able to cope without without Ossingham for a few games yeah. you could rotate some figures in and out which you perhaps weren't able to do before maybe they don't quite have the depth to push for both the Champions League and Scudetto uh but I certainly think um it's as far as Scudetto goes I think um it's hard to see them dropping 10 points and yeah. maybe yeah. apart you very probably the only team probably capable maybe of grinding out seven eight nine wins in a row a bit like they've done just before christmas yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um but it's difficult to see who's going to beat napoli in the form that they're in um so i i think if I, i'd put my money on it now to be honest that they'll go they'll go forward and win it mm. oh god i hope i get to do a weekend in naples celebrating the scudetto because that is <laughs> going to be unbelievable but just yeah to kind of touch on your point when they're bringing off when they're bringing on Raspadori and bringing, they've still got Simeone on the bench who isn't getting a shout. And you're looking at the depth in that squad and you're like, damn, there's not a big drop in quality from the players coming off. Elmas, when he came on, was unbelievable. Mm. Like, um, just tore Juve to shreds and he's not starting. And you're like, yeah, the dropping quality off the bench is not much, if any. And it's, yeah, they are. Oh, Napoli, you've got to do it this year. You have to do it this year. God damn it, you've got to do it this year. But we're going to move on from Napoli and Juventus. Juve fans will be relieved. Um, and we're going to go, I think, to the next game. Um, Atalanta <laughs> 8, Salernitana 2. We've got our old Atalanta back. Do you remember when Atalanta used to get these scores fairly regularly? Like they'd always have like a six-five or a seven-three or something. Like, what the Scoring frenzy games, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it's back, and Salernitana were more than um, accommodating. Um, and yes. I think Luckman heard us. Luckman heard us. We'd said he'd been quiet, and he pops up with two goals, and they're finally getting a bit of a tune out of Barga. Atalanta, this is a performance yeah. that could turn around their season um i'm gonna to go to you andy first is it it's great to see the old atalanta back even if it's just for one game it's great yes. to have them back right yeah even if it's just like a one-time special it's good you know feels like 2019 <laughs> all over again <laughs> <laughs> but um no i think they've needed i think they've needed that uh performance 
I, you know, I was looking for the highlights. I think the uh, Edison goal uh, was probably my favourite out of that one. I just love a long range curler. Yes, like you know, ones where it doesn't look like you, you just sort of half arsing it, but you, you put <laughs> you through it, it just goes top bins anyway. It's the sort of thing that you don't really do unless you're <laughs> very quite a few goals to the good. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it was a very enjoyable game. I think. Um, Salatana, I think sort of defending was a bit unfortunate. Um, you know, Guillermo Ochoa probably wishes he stay he stayed in Mexico. Yeah, that's, <laughs> he was doing well until this point. He was doing well. Yeah, he'll be on the first plane back after that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, but I'll tell you, someone who is on the first plane out of Salernitana, Davide Nicola. That yeah, was that was the nail in the coffin. Now I think. That's still quite a surprising decision. Um, mm. Like, Selenitana are not really in trouble, thanks to the fact that there's three terrible teams. But, Adam, how do you feel about them getting rid of him? Do you think it's the right thing to do? And who could be next? Yeah, I don't think it's the right thing. But when you look at the record, it's they haven't won in six games now. Um, there was rumours at the back end of last year, before the World Cup kind of break, that they were trying to force him out of the club. They weren't prepared mm. to kind of give him the backing, which is when you look at where Salernitana were last season to this season, where they've kind of achieved, like mid-table is respectable. When you look at like where they were as a club, I think, yeah, I don't know what's going on in the boardroom or there must be a falling out, which clearly is taking effect. And even rightly, a lot of people have been saying, normally you wait for a reaction to see what happens in the next game. Don't kind of judge it on this one result because at the end of the day, players do have these kind of games where they just, for whatever reason, they just can't pull it together. And it just seems a bit harsh because David Nicoli, he just bought out something out of that team. He started to get something out of them. And I think with a few more reinforcements like Akoya, maybe a, a more solid defender than Fazio, for example, yeah. then, you know, oh, they Fazio could have gone somewhere. This is the thing. Awful. So I, I, <laughs> I do feel sorry. But um, the rumoured kind of replacement already, apparently, is Paolo Sosa, the ex-Flamengo and Polish coach, believe it or not. He's getting I, about. He doesn't he stay is, anywhere he's, very he's, long, He's, he's he? got one of these agents, clearly but um, I can't I can't see him personally. I think he'd last like three months and then if Salonitano in the bottom three, then they would be pulling it out and getting the David Nicola back, wouldn't they? Um, so yeah. yeah well, I think Italian like, teams love doing that. Appointing they the do, manager more they? than once. They do love it. Um, they do. I feel like it's... I don't know who they could be looking at, but there's quite a few like ex-Italian players who were managing in Serie B that I can imagine them kind of poaching. Mm. Like De Rossi is at Spal and there's Inzaghi down there and there's a few Cannavaro. like that maybe they could... Cannavaro's down there, right? Mm. Um, it'll be interesting to see who they get, but what they need is someone who's... If they're so if they're like obviously concerned about getting dragged into the, the relegation battle, they are currently eight points ahead of Sampdoria, who are 10th. Um, if they are concerned about getting dragged into that, then... They need someone who's like an old head in Serie A, mm. really, um, and someone who's just going to steady the ship. But it'll be like interesting to see. Sorry? Mazzari. <laughs> Mazzari, get him back. Oh, yeah, we, we, back. Miss, we miss Valter. It's weird having Serie A without <laughs> him in it. Um, but yeah, Salernitana are more than accommodating. Atalanta, is this going to be a moment for them to turn around? They have kind of, since the break, they've now won three and drawn one, I want to say. So they mm -hmm. are getting into better. One, two and drawn one. Um, yeah. They are getting into better form. They also won in Capitalia, was that it? Anyway, uh, they are getting into better form. And is this the catalyst to push them on? They could still 
get well they're in the Europa League places Europa Conference they're only four, they're only four yeah. points away from um, Milan so from Milan in second is yeah, this the moment actually, is this I the mean, moment where they make a charge up the table what do you think Andy well I think if you look at the top seven all of them are going to think that Champions League is attainable this mm-hmm. season there's only a few points in it and half a season to go. Uh, I think Atalanta, I think um, we said earlier in the season, they just didn't, they just looked a bit of like a shadow of themselves. They hadn't quite, obviously they had a lot of injuries. They feel, it felt like they couldn't quite get going. Um, but, you know, with Adam Rola Lookwood, apparently he's, I think since like October, he's like the second highest goal scorer mm-hmm. um, in the league. Which shows, I mean, we've spoken about him a few times before in this pod, but it's great to see his development mm. um, See him finally fulfill his potential as a player after uh, doing the hard yards in the gulag. Sorry, Everton. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's enough to kill anyone off. I'll be honest. We'll yeah. get on to them. I'd rather go to a gulag, to be honest, and play for Everton. <laughs> Tell you what, the atmosphere at Goodison, Jesus. Oof. I had to turn on Everton <laughs> Southampton just to witness it. Um, but before that, we're not talking Premier League yet. Adam, what do you think? Are. Is this the moment for Atlanta to make a push? I feel like they're starting to click again a bit. I think it depends. When you look at the next match, they've got Juventus. So they really do need to kind of make the yeah. most of these kind of big games. Um, I'd be interested to see how the likes of Scalvani, for example, play against this kind of teams like Juventus, because I think he's only ter- or 18, isn't he? So he'll be turning yeah. 19 soon. He's just, you know, he's he looks primed. If you look at the header that he scored against Salernitana, that was really, really good. Mm. Um, so, you know, he looks like a prime Cannavaro candidate already. Um, but yeah, these are the kind of games that they're looking for. Hoyland, who I think has taken about Gets six months one. to get ready. Gets another one. He's yeah. getting into a groove of learning how to play in this league now. Um, he comes mm. with that hype, obviously, from Stum Graz. And yeah, who knows what could be made of him now in the next six months. I mean, they they desperately need a striker and someone like him would be ideal. Um, wait and see. I think this is a problem I find with Gasparini's sides is they give you that little glimmer of hope that they might actually yeah. do it and then they just capitulate. So I'm hoping for once they actually put the pressure. But then that said, none of the teams have, if you look outside of Napoli, They've all got their kind of faults within them. Mm-hmm. You know, Milan, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a minute, they faltered. You know, all of these teams aren't grinding consistent runs, should we say, maybe with the exception of Juventus up until Friday's match. I think this is the thing. It's very open for that mix. So, Atlanta, all they need to do is get a run of games. You never mm-hmm. know. I think they've got the pressure off them anyway. No, I think you're absolutely right. Consistency is going to be key here because all of the teams... None of them, like, they're all dropping the odd point, having the odd loss. Like, Lazio have won two in the last five. Inter are kind of putting a run together, but still got a few draws. Milan are drawing a lot of t- a lot of games yeah. at the minute. Like, you're starting any team that gets that run, it's properly up for grabs. Even the way down, like, yeah, down, as Andy said, to seventh, Roma on 34 points as well. It's going to be super close to get mm. that European battle, there's a bit of a drop-off then to eighth and nine points. Udinese, yeah. we thought they'd do it at one point, but it's not going to happen now, is it? No, it started um, pretty well this season, didn't they? They, they like, started the first five or six games and then just went... Yeah, it's yeah, all... Too many draws. Kind of, yeah, exactly, exactly. As is often the case, just need someone mm. to bang it in. And speaking of someone who's starting to bang it in, Dybala is settling in in Roma... He's starting to score. He's getting a few goals, getting a bit of playing time. Maybe if he can stay fit 
they could actually have a yeah. player consistently. But Roma two, Fiorentina nil, Dodon being sent off. Yeah. Um, there was an extinction joke there somewhere, but I didn't. I didn't think, <laughs> I didn't think quick enough. Um, but Dodo getting sent off and Roma taking advantage. Um, Adam, I'm going to go to you first this time. What are your impressions of Dybala and Roma? They are they are getting a run together. They are getting a run together. But what I want to highlight is actually his partner Tammy Abraham because it mm. was that link up play between the two of them that was critical for this match in particular. When you saw the first goal, it was a nice little layoff by Abraham on the chest and Dybala just. Yeah, slight kind of deflection, it has to be said, but he scores past the Fiorentina keeper. And then for the second one, Abraham sees him because there was a previous opportunity where Abraham didn't kind of, you know, pass it to Dybala. So this time he was on the counter-attack, essentially. Ball is chipped into Abraham. Abraham sees Dybala running on the far side, slips it in, and the celebrations kind of tell you its own story because Dybala was praising Abraham and saying mm-hmm. that was him. That was all about him. Abraham's been unlucky of late as well because mm-hmm. he could have scored in this game. There was an opportunity he had, which I think he was a bit surprised at as well, to be fair. He didn't look like he was expecting it. But yeah, Dybala, when he's on his game and he's not injured, as you like rightly say, he could be the real pinnacle for Roma and you know, the catalyst that may kick them up up the league as well. I think this will be an interesting window for Mourinho as well because he always talks about trying to increase the depth that he's got in that squad. Mm-hmm. We know Cars drop. He always def- wants to spend. Yeah, he always Car- wants to spend. Cars drop yeah. is definitely gone. That's all we know for sure. Yes. But yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the thing. I still think they are a striker short at the moment, which is surprising mm-hmm. when you've got Belotti sat on the bench well, doing was- nothing, right? I was just about to say, when you're kind of hearing it out loud, Abraham and Dybala up front together, you're like, bloody hell, that is not bad Some at all. <laughs> like, that <laughs> is a pretty good front line. And then you've got Pellegrini behind them. All of a sudden, you're starting to see things. You think, yeah, maybe the team isn't only a few, but I still think they need a better keeper. I think they need to upgrade the defense a little bit. But they're like, they're only a few pieces away, I think. They're not far away. Um, but Fiorentina just cannot score a goal. They, no. I, I'm going to check. I'm going to check how many they've scored for the season. Now they've scored 21 goals in 18 games. This Jovic experiment, as we talked mm. about last uh, last episode, has not worked. Getting players sent off definitely doesn't help. Um, but Andy, I'm going to go to you. How hard is it to find a striker that can actually score? And I'm not sounding. Uh, if I sound sarcastic, I didn't mean it, but it seems like a lot of teams, that's all they're missing, someone who can actually score. Like, Fiorentina are so close. I think I think it's difficult because strikers are bloody expensive. Mm. Like, if you, if you think about, like, the elite names that are out there, the likes of, you know, Harry Kay, Victor Ozenhan, you know, when they eventually move clubs, they're going to go for absolutely mega money. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah with, with um, I'll take give you an example, Paolo De- Dabala, uh, he's not like an out-and-out striker, but for somebody in the forward position, he was being quoted to Manchester United more specifically for 40, 50 million quid. Yeah, he had yeah, like yeah. a year left on his contract. Um, yeah. So I think it's um, it's difficult, especially in Serie A as well, where there isn't mm-hmm. quite the money there is in the Premier League. I think, you know, they were lucky with Tammy Abraham, the situation that he was in um, kind of works for Roma and they're able to make a deal. But it's it's difficult, to, especially the January transfer window. Yeah. It's difficult mm. to you know see 
also, I don't know what Roma's budget is, maybe like 20, 30 million quid or something like that. It's difficult to see who we're going to get in that's going to make a huge amount of difference. Um, yeah, I think I think what they have to do is kind of start looking at the... It's just all about scouting, isn't it? We're looking at yeah. Brighton and looking at teams like that and just trying to find that guy from the lower leagues. And I feel like Fiorentina have kind of done it with Cabral. And as I said again in the last episode... He looked like he was kind of starting to find his home a little bit, and then he's got injured again. And it just feel like for Vincenzo Italiano, it must be so frustrating that they just cannot, they're just missing that one piece. And Vlavic had to be sold, right? But yeah. how do you replace Vlavic once you've sold Vlavic, right? Mm-hmm. It's just impossible. But I think for Fiorentina, again, kind of a mid table, a mid table season, they're in 10th at the moment, 23 points. Quite a disappointing season compared to last year, but. That being said, they've got the Conference League. They've got a small mm. squad. It's kind of understandable. We see this happen quite Plus a bit. Still time, there's still time for it to be turned around with Luka Jovic, for instance. All right, mm-hmm. he's had a poor start to um, this poor start to the season, but he is a player that can score goals at that level. And I think, yeah. I think with Fiori today, obviously, with because he's commanding a fairly decent amount in terms of wages as well, given where he's played for previously. Mm-hmm. I think you, I think for it is just going to have to stick with it. Yeah, they've um, got no choice. Yeah, they haven't, they haven't <laughs> yeah. got a choice, have they? He just needs to. I think he just. They just need to play through the bad form. I think if they mm-hmm. can get a bit of better service to him and one or two goals in consecutive games, suddenly he's full of confidence again. That's yeah. what strikers are like. Uh, so you know, I think because we're in like January, because of the World Cup and stuff like that, we kind of assume we've only got like 10, 15 games left. When actually, actually we've there's got, quite a lot left. <laughs> we've yeah, got yeah. about twenty <laughs> left. So yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's um, a bit like Tammy Abraham as well. You don't want to write him off uh, that early in the season. Yeah. Um, mm. I think I think you, there's still plenty of time for him to get another seven or eight goals. Suddenly, he's a player who's got double figures in Serie A, yeah, which isn't yeah. you know, a mean achievement. Mm. So maybe it looks a little bit different. But I think um, Fiorentina is just going to have to stick crack on, really. Yeah. Um, same thing as well, like with them. You know what Mourinho is like. He likes established players. He isn't going to get one mm. that's going to score a load of goals. No. no, 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 no. You're absolutely right. And I think for Fiorentina, they just need to like. I think if they can push on in the Conference League, it'd be quite exciting. See if they can make a push up the mm. table. But they play like Italiano is a great coach, and I think yeah, they just need um, a year of a year of building. I think it probably consolidation. is consolidation. Um, exactly, exactly. And mm. we have a question from AFC Finners. I've just clicked off the thing. Why did I do that? Um, uh, a question from AFC Finners. What is the consensus of Mourinho in Italy at the moment? Well, I think in general, people are just saying that he's doing a fairly steady job. Nothing exciting, mm. nothing over the top. Just doing what Roma were doing before he arrived. Um, he's not really moved them on that much, I don't think. He's kind of obviously the conference league win was massive, but yeah. they were finishing sixth or seventh before he arrived, um, and maybe even a little bit higher. So I think they just think he's doing not nothing, the nothing special one. Mm. I don't know, he's not doing that much, <laughs> but they do also see that he's a project manager for Roma. He he wants to be there for a long time. They want him there for a long time, and they know that if they back him enough and for long enough and they keep moving in this slightly upward trajectory mm. they could actually get there in the end i think Mourinho could win something major with them but he's going to need time and he's going to need money um now roma have actually spent quite a bit in general they're not kind of um tight-fisted they do mm. throw a bit of money around 
But I think they just need to get in the players that he wants. But yeah, to answer your question in short, just nothing special. What we expect from Roma, really, just to finish sixth or seventh um, and kind of piss a few people off. Yeah, nice. Um, before we leave Serie A, we're going to finish with one game which... As they went 2-0 up, I thought, bloody hell, why didn't I put money on my prediction? <laughs> of course this happened. I finally don't put money on it, and it comes true. But Milan now dragged back last weekend. This weekend, they are the draggers back as they draw 2 all with Lecce. And um, Adam, I'm going to go to you first. How bad were they in the first half, and how much better were they in the second half? They were terrible in the first 23 minutes because... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Lecce were all over them and it was basically the carry on. If you imagine like the last game where they were kind of dragged back by Roma for that draw to all, they kind of continued that like kind of continuation of the style of format and play. They just really like sloppy passing, just not doing the right things. And that's how the first goal came about. It was a sloppy back pass um, by, I think it was Kalulu or Tomori, I can't remember, but then on the byline, bylines, cross comes through and it is a bit fortuitous but Teo Hernandez obviously kind of bodies it back into his own net with Tata Rosanu just not being able to be that agile if it was Mike Magnan you might have saved it but yeah that said again 23 minutes later Basharito comes on and headers it into the back of the net and makes it two and Lecce had their chances again after that Di Francesco could have made it even three or four nil by that point and if that would have been 4-0, then there would have been a hell of like news going around Serie A as well with that. And maybe you could argue that you know Milan are collapsing, but they brought themselves back into it. Liao, obviously, tidy finish. I think uh, maybe there's some arguments Falcone could have done better. And then Calabria obviously gets kind of, you know, capped in effort. I don't know why he's up there because he's on the left-hand side rather than being his, on his usual right-hand side as a right-back but gets the header, scores the equaliser, but they just didn't have enough in it. I mean, Origi was brought on, wasn't he? Mm -hmm. Giroud yeah. had an off day as well, like didn't do much. Pabega had chances. I think they're really struggling. They really need someone with a bit of spark. Mm -hmm. um, Tonali was obviously missing for this one as well. So that probably plays a little part and indication around yeah. they're really reliant on him at the moment. Um, he's he's so key to yeah. them. Like he everything they do goes through him. He's kind of like taken on mm -hmm. that Kessier role that like the, like the hole that they were afraid Kessier was gonna leave. Yeah. Tonali's just stepped into and everything goes through him. And when he's not there. Yeah, it does look a lot less. It looks a lot more disjointed, a lot, a lot yeah. slower, a lot more like kind of predictable. And I think Lecce were really there to take advantage and did incredibly well. Um, mm. And he's disappeared. And um, it, it, he does it once a show, guys. Once a show. And now <laughs> my microphone's dropped. Um, nightmare. Um, but Lecce made it difficult as they always do um, at home. And I was absolutely gutted for them that they couldn't hold on. But still, a very good point. He's back. A very good point for the Pugliese. Um, and yeah, Milan just need yeah. a win, don't they? They just need to get through this bit of a grind. But it does look like... I think when I look at Milan, the first thing that came into my head was the Ferguson quote. I think it's Ferguson, where he said the second championship is harder to win than the first championship. Because mm -hmm. he's like, the hunger just kind of disappears a bit. And to keep the players... Uh, motivated is yeah. so difficult. And that's what I can see in Milan a little bit. And that's what I 
what I can't see in, in Milan, I can see in Napoli. Napoli want to win it for the mm. first time. They've got yeah. that hunger. Milan, I feel like there's just that slight foot off the pedal, that slight, like, mm. yeah, just not quite that hunger that they had last year. But they're still second, and, you know, they're in the best position to jump if Napoli do fall. So, you know, there's still hope. There is that, but hope. I think there's a bit of complacency. That's what you're alluding mm. to. There's just complacency yeah. with that Milan defence as well at times. Just, yeah. It's a shame, but yeah, let's crack on. We do need that Serie A, guys. That Serie A elsewhere. Mm. Um, I should probably end the section actually, rather than just, just finishing my sentence. Elsewhere, Cremonese, are they ever going to get a win? They were 3 0 down against Monza, <laughs> managed to come back 3 2. Still not good enough. Um, could possibly be the worst side in Serie A history. I need to double check who holds the record at the minute. Um, Inter beat Verona 1 0. Lazio beats a swallow 2-0. Jesus Christ, a swallow are terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Torino beats Spezio 1-0. Adam, you wanted to talk about this super quickly? I only wanted to say Dragovsky came back for this match uh, first time since he broke his leg, unfortunately, against Hellas Verona last se- or l- last year, should I say. Um, so great to see him back. But the other point is um, Kivor, Jakub Kivor. Obviously, a lot of hype. Rumours about him going to somewhere in Europe slash Serie A. Uh, did not play or come on. So uh, interesting to see whether that was deliberate or if there was something else in it. Don't know. Keep an eye on that one. And the last game's Udinese, who we talked about, lost 2-1 to Bologna after going 1-0 up, conceded in the 59th and the 80th. And then currently, oh, Samp, they are 1-0 down to Empoli. (laughs) Piron Ebuehi getting the goal. And Marin getting an assist for the Fantical show. I'm absolutely <laughs> smashing it this week, extending my lead against second in the table. Oh, I'm excited. But we need to move on to the Premier League. And we're going to start with Andy, I'm going to let you go first. Chronologically, it came first. I predicted, <laughs> yeah. a, I predicted a win. So you're welcome. Uh, United <laughs> come back from a goal down to win 2 1. Um, I'll let you talk about the game. Then we'll talk about that horrific decision. How happy were you? Are you? We'll talk about the decision in a moment. I'm sure we will. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm absolutely delighted. And I think um, even going into the game, considering you know it was only a few months ago uh, that we got absolutely battered 6 3, mm-hmm. um, you know, with a performance that bad, it should realistically have been 10. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was that mm-hmm. bad. And you know, even going back to last season, they did the double over United so convincingly and so easily. Like it was embarrassing at times, mm. but you know, and I think although United have been on the run of like eight, nine games on the bounce, I think a lot of people have probably rightly pointed out. And, you know, I, I've pointed out when speaking about Arsenal mm-hmm. that they've beaten teams that should be beaten. You know, yeah. it's Manchester United for God's sake, with the amount of money we spend on transfers and players and the personnel we've got, we should be beating those teams. Yeah, yeah. But, Nonetheless, we weren't doing that last season or the season before that or the season before that. So it's it's very good to see that. Um, I think with Ten Hag now, he's got a very settled team. I think that's maybe where, going back to October, that wasn't quite the case. Casemiro is an absolute revelation. There were some yeah. surprises in the lineup. I didn't expect to see Fred starting. Or um, Wan-Bissaka. Or Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, well, Dello's been injured. Wan-Bissaka has played a couple of games recently. Um, I mean, considering how... There was a point where he was playing Tyrone Malassia at right back mm-hmm. rather than playing Wambasaka. I think a lot of people, myself included, made the judgment that he wasn't in Ten Hag's plans, wasn't going to play yeah. a minute. But, you know, uh, since the World Cup, 
Dallas still been injured, not been able to play, and with several games in a short space of time, um, he's got his chance and he's taken it. To be fair to yeah. him, um, you know, he's he's always been quite a good one-on-one defender, but I think yeah, he's yeah, had, yeah. he's obviously had a little bit of coaching. Uh, mm-hmm. But there was that clip where he was doing random skills at the end, which <laughs> I could not believe I was watching it. But no, I was, I was, I was delighted. I think uh, Ten Hag, I think he made, I think United have been crying out for a manager who's tactically competent because we have. So, what really would had... you say is what would you say is the major difference between that six-three performance, like, and as in what's changed in the team between that six-three performance and now? Because it was like night and day. I just, I was watching it. And I was like, but the United are a team again. Like this is, they're, they're, they're good. Like, I think it's, um, Casemiro, I think is, mm-hmm. and the, the back four in general are the biggest difference. Um, a lot of people say that Casemiro is a bit, you know, overpriced, but at the end of the day, we've got somebody who's only 29, five champions league under his belt. Yeah. It took, it took, um, he didn't play, he wasn't in the starting lineup for the first seven or eight games. Obviously, there was a few fitness issues then. So, you know, at the end of the day, he's moving to a new country, yeah, to adapt, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that kind of stuff as well. And I think he's just showed his quality, you know, his ability to be able to break play from deep and make the right decision um, mm. under heavy pressure is something that we haven't had in the center of midfield. Same yeah. with, um, you know, Ericsson as well. We've got players that could actually build play from deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, since Michael Carrick, if I'm being honest with you, we haven't really had yeah, that yeah. kind of a player. And I think also having a settled back line, um, and obviously uh, Martinez is obviously still nursing a hangover. Um, <laughs> yeah, that guy went hard. Yeah, well, yeah, he, yeah. Must, he, must, he must have done because he's not played pretty much <laughs> since he's got back. But it's clear that Ten Hag prefers a left-footed Centre back, mm-hmm. I think what it says for Harry Maguire's future at the club, I don't really know. <laughs> when, yeah, but Luke, Shaw, if you said to me a few months ago, yeah, we're going to put Luke Short centre back up against Erling Haaland, I'd have gone, What yeah. are you doing? But I think Ten Hag's put got enough credit in the bank to be able to do that. And I think mm-hmm. in the first half, we the game plan was set up perfectly. You had Fred stalking. Kevin De Bruyne, yeah. actually a very good opportunity. Um, that's not a role I'm used to seeing Fred in. Doing the Park G Sung role, yeah, like or Andrew yeah, Herrera yeah. on Hazard a couple of years ago. <laughs> so he's obviously, you know, he's obviously been told stick with him. And in the first half, it worked. And I think one thing United have always been good at, you know, even before Ted Hard got here, certainly featured the Solskjaer, was that we're very good of a counter attack. And I think that was something that worked well in the first half. We've created some really good quality chances. Uh, Bruno Fernandes is actually doing quite a good job on the right hand side at the moment. Um, mm-hmm. I think going to, obviously the second half was tough. Um, when City got their goal, they absolutely deserved it. I think they came yeah. out all guns blazing. They played like this, the Manchester City side. We know and lo- you know most people know and love. Um, <laughs> you nearly said it. You yeah, I know. Said I said it myself. <laughs> wait a second, but no, I think the main difference, obviously, with Cantona and Walker, a lot of the time they like to come infield to try mm. and create overloads in the centre of the park. We did the part, and Cantona especially wasn't really do that in the first yeah, half. Yeah. Whether that was a specific instruction or not, I don't know. Uh, but he didn't seem to be doing it. Um, but yeah, they started stringing a lot of passes together. Um, and it wasn't a surprise when really came and got the goal. That goal was coming. Mm. I think um, Foden, though, had a very poor game for Manchester City. He... He's having a bit of an average season, I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, I've got to be honest. I don't like, think he... he's been fantastic this season. I don't think... It's weird. Like, I feel like... City are now getting used to Haaland and it's taking time. Like, Adam, I don't know what you think with 
where are City? Because I feel like they're gettable now. They're, they they can be got at. Like like Liverpool mm-hmm. started to, You all of a sudden yeah. people are like, oh no, we can get at these now. And City, it feels like that, right? Yeah, I think they're just experiencing one of their, you know, form p- periods where they're just, I suppose, not grinding out those results as easily as they used to. I think uh, maybe, I think teams have found a way around it as well, especially now that kind of, they've tried to evolve the game so that it suits Haaland, whereas now you're kind of starting to realise they haven't got the wingers that they normally kind of maybe rely for Haaland to run onto. So they're very much more compact, much more narrower. So like, for example, Man United were able to exploit that with just the constant pace. Malassia, a number of times in that first half Mm -hmm. where he was bombing it, and he caused that, you know, indecision with Edison where he came out of his goal as well at one point in that first half. You know, that's what Man United's kind of exploited. And I think that wasn't just that match. You saw it in previous matches. Man City are starting to crumble a bit and they need to get that solidarity in terms of the way they play. I think they almost overcomplicated and I think that's an argument about Pep just in general <laughs> yeah. that he just yeah. does it over we it's know for example yeah exactly yeah. we know yeah. that they're going to be the best at passing but Man United just just absorbs it and as Andy alluded to Ericsson plays a really interesting role because he's now becoming that focal point like uh, Michael Carrick where he's yeah. kind of pinging these balls and doing these quick offensive like plays and that's really helpful because when you've got players that have got pace to burn I was a bit like unsure about Juan Basaka but he did a really good you know game in itself I thought he was really comfortable I was most impressed by Manassi. I wasn't too sure because of the previous game he had. But yeah, yeah I, I, this is the thing. They exploited it. Again, there's arguments about Martial, whether he's up to it. But Rashford, this is the thing. I, I'm going to put my kind of take. He is going to be critical for Man United's form going forward. I hope his hamstring keeps up because I think there was a, that one moment just before yeah. half time where I thought, oh, he's coming off now. I think if, yeah. I think if, it, I think if we were playing any other team, other than say Manchester City and Liverpool, he probably would have come off. Yeah. I think because of the importance of the game, he kept going. Uh, but I think it says a lot that a half fit Rashford is uh, still a better option to play against the Marshall. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that is, it, that does is it a worry statement. you, though? Does it worry you that if he does go off injured for, let's say, a month or two, and you've yeah, got, because... I know you've got Vout, which is one one point which could be better than Martial, right? But he's not the same player as one. No, Rashford and I think, um, yeah, I think there is concerns there, definitely. In the form, he's in the best form he's been in for the past two or three years at the yeah, very, yeah, very, yeah. very least. Obviously, with Jaden Sancho, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. I think there's been a lot going on on a personal level with him. Stuff he needs time. Yeah. He yeah. needs time. Stuff that yeah. we're not going to know about. To be honest, I yeah. don't want to know about because it's private. Yeah. But it's yeah. obviously yeah. there's a reason he's been away from the squad for the time that he has. Um, I think it's too much to put Garnacho starting every single week. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. however, though, what a difference that boy made. That guy is incredible, man. He yeah. is exciting. He is he's very, incredibly very, exciting. Very, very exciting. Also, I don't really get overhyped because I've seen it with the likes of, say, like Yalazai. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, no, that's to, true. Yeah, uh, yeah, but you know, in terms of what he's doing yeah. right now, he is doing a great job. And I think mm-hmm. going back to Manchester City as well, for like for a team that 
so carefully construct their squads and put so much thought into the players that they buy, you would think they would have better centre backs available than Nathan Ake and Kanji. If I'm being completely honest, yes. what about left backs as well? Left backs are yeah. just so short of it. I know yeah, they've got yeah, yeah. Mendy, right? Mendy. Well, it's a reason why they've got Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think um, yeah, I guess we should probably talk about the goals. Now, Andy, um, we have to it. talk about it because that first goal for United, <laughs> I will die. I will go to my grave believing that Rashford is interfering with play there. That yeah. whole move, the Edison is looking at him like he's about to shoot, and the whole thing—if he's not there, Akanji just runs through, or Edison comes out and collects the ball. That is not a move. Not that's and, not that's, that's not. I don't necessarily agree. So, mate, you can maybe there's an argument for Rashford potentially interfering with play. I 100% get potentially interfering. He's running <laughs> over the ball, but he, did, he hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't. He was slowing down. He hasn't touched right. it, and. I've always seen like the screenshot where you've got Rashford and Akanji just behind him, but Akanji wasn't going to have the pace to overtake him. There was no guarantee at the, the speed the ball was running, he was going to get there before Fernandez got there. But Edison comes out for that ball. If if Rashford he would have had there, to, yeah, Edison would, comes out for it. I, I disagree because he would have. If you think about the angle where Fernandez hit it, it was. It was a similar sort of position where Rashford would have hit it. It was going to get hit at the edge of the area. So Edison, in my view, was maybe going to have to come out anyway. Right. Because they're both in the both at the edge of the 18 yard box. Rashford is, you know, right footed, so he's going to try and curl it. So he's kind of put himself in position to anticipate a shot. He probably expected it from Rashford, and maybe that's where the interpretation has come from. But I can see why City fans are pissed. I mean, if, if City <laughs> score that against you, you are fuming. I'm telling you. Yes. I yeah. I think, and that and, and that maybe is the issue though. Is that ultimately people have anything that is open to interpretation is going to have decisions like that. Unfortunately, like <laughs> I think AFC Finners is in your camp, Andy. He goes, it should have been offside, but I don't. Care <laughs> I feel like you might have someone who agrees with you. Yeah. Um, no, you know but, what? I, th- I think oh, you're right. I would have been perfumed it being given against me, but it's at the same time, it's not the most outrageous decision I've ever seen. Um, to be honest with you, like it, just, it, it did make me think of the goal that Arsenal scored against United last year when Enketia was stood in front of Day, and then it was just like he's not interfering with play. Like it did th- make me think of that. And I was like, like, uh, maybe remember, I need to be quiet. Do you remember the Champions League final? Um, when Benzema had the disallowed goal, and right. everyone, you know, he. You know, it was similar to that where everyone was just like, should that really have been disallowed because it hit somebody else and come to him? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's an interpretation thing. You know, for every, you've got a group of people who goes, well, by the letter of the law, it could in theory stand. Um, and other people going, well, it doesn't because he's clearly interfering. And maybe the slight problem we have is that we've got a lot of referees that don't cover the professional football. Well, this is something that, yeah, we you know, need you, it in the game. If you, if you've played the game, it's a bit like that referee, that Polish referee in the World Cup, yeah. I think he's played the game and you could tell in some of the decision making that because he's played, been there and done that at a professional level, you can make the, you, you can interpret the game in yeah, a different yeah. way. And I think maybe that's some of it. You've got a bunch of people sat in a room in VAR, you've got the referee, all of them who've probably never played the game at a professional level. Um, and they're looking at a rule book going, could this stand? And they go, in theory, yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, if it had gone in against Arsenal, I'd have been absolutely spitting <laughs> fire. What do you think, Adam, before we move on to uh, uh, Arsenal? I think to allude to Andy's point, it's no black and white when it comes to scenario writing mm-hmm. in terms of saying this is offside, this isn't offside. I thought at the time it was offside, though. I thought, yeah, yeah linesman's going to pull it and call it offside. The fact that you know Rashford's trying his best not to touch it kind of says he knew if he doesn't touch this, this has a potential to go in, right? And ultimately, it would have gone to VAR, which I think the players are now getting adjusted to as well. They're getting used you got, to. You've got to play to the. You've got to play, play to the whistle. Exactly. Oh, no. and, that's undoubtedly, and that's what City didn't do. Like, yeah, yeah. They, no, undoubtedly. But I also think the fact that Howard Webb has come into PG Mall, PGMOL halfway through the season, there's an attitude change halfway through the season as well. He said VAR isn't going to get as involved as it has in the past and there's been a few incidents even in Arsenal Tottenham yesterday where people were looking going VAR and then you're like oh it's not getting involved that's quite nice so I think there's an adjustment period for that as well like the VAR isn't going to get as involved on on-pitch decisions which I think overall will be a positive thing but in this case I cannot believe this. I cannot believe that that's a goal stand honestly blows my mind um but um i'm gonna to go to one comment from finners is on fire today i maintain we have seen english football stalingrad this weekend i love the reference and maybe entering the newcastle arsenal and manchester united era andy you ready i'm ready yeah, I'm up for that. We can together fight the forces of evil of Saudi Arabia and keep it out of Newcastle. Um, yeah, I like, well, I don't know, we'll wait to see what happens if United's takeover. We might, yeah, uh, well, yeah. might very well end up in the axis of evil. Hopefully we don't. Oh, but, God, um, we've got no hope if you We might, we might end up well. doing it in Italy and switching sides halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> We we have got no hope if you get bought out as well. But for now, we've got all the hope in the world because London is red. Not just North London. London is red. We are. I cannot believe how beautiful yesterday was. That is the best I've seen us play in, I don't know, seven years, eight years. Mm. That is honestly, that first half was a complete lesson in football to, uh, for Tottenham I think the the ability the, the way we managed to completely control the game from the first minute and towards the end of the half Ramsdale who was massive all game yeah. managed to come up with some big saves at the end of the half to keep us in it and to keep us at 2-0 but I think the way we just controlled the game Tottenham didn't have a sniff I'm gonna just go a bit mad about Zinchenko like and Martinez has been fantastic for United. Great signing for United. He was our first choice. We got Zinchenko, and honestly, I couldn't be happier. I think there's no player in the world who does what Zinchenko does. Mm. As a left-back coming into midfield, we're able to go from that 4-3-3 to a 3-4-3 without losing any strength, without losing any strength defensively. The Mm. versatility of our defenders, that Ben White is now one of the best right-backs in the league, and he came in as a centre-back, his ability to drop in when Zinchenko goes, it just gives us a whole different dimension when we're playing and when we've got the ball. Off the ball, we were fantastic. I thought our centre-backs, Gabriel and Saliba, are building a genuinely incredible uh, partnership. Saliba's had a few wobbles before the World Cup. He kind of gave away, he scored an own goal, gave away a goal, and I was like, oh, Christ, this could go mm. bad. Didn't play in the World Cup, was a bit rusty when he came back, but yesterday he was unbelievable. Gabriel is going under the under the radar of how good a season that guy is having. And then Martin Erdegaard. I just we talked about him on on, yeah, on Thursday as well, but just how good that guy is, I cannot comprehend. And 
I know it's very difficult talking about Thomas Partey because he shouldn't be playing in the Premier League. He is having the best season of his life. If he's injured, I think much like United have got two players that if they get injured, they're in trouble. We've got two players that if they get injured, we're in trouble. For United, it's Casemiro and Rashford. For us, it's Partey and Saka. If Or Partey and Erdegaard is kind of arguable. But if either of them get long-term injuries, that is where the team is weak because you can't mm. replace those players. You just can't. You can't get someone who's second choice or to agree to be second choice who's as good as those players. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Your second choice is going to be a drop in quality. But I think Partey has been unbelievable. Granite Xhaka in this new role of like a number eight where he's attacking and defending. He's honestly the best football he's had in his Arsenal career. I just think Tottenham got nowhere fucking near it and it was beautiful. And then in the second half, we showed the other side of us where Tottenham pushed. They couldn't be as bad as they were in the first half. We knew that they're a better team in second half. Mm. They score all their goals in the second half. They came out and they put us under a bit of pressure. I think once we got through past the 60th minute, I was like, right, I think we're okay. Once we got through that first 15 Mm. minutes without conceding, I was like, okay, I think we can do this now. Ramsdale. I cannot believe he's 24 years old. That is the best game he's ever played for us, ever. All like he was so solid. His saves were incredible. I think his distribution was amazing. He was a calming influence on the defense. Every time a cross came into the box, he was there catching it. And if you compare that to the goalkeeper at the other end of the pitch, I think that's where the game was lost. I think mm. if they've got a a world-class keeper, I'm not saying Ramsdale's world-class yet. But if they've got a keeper as good as Ramsdale, I think that's a tighter game. That's mm. maybe a nil-nil. Maybe they nick it one-nil, if you know what I mean. But I think that that game was won on the goalkeepers. And we've talked a while about Lloris and how he's kind of done now. Like, he's retired yeah. from international football. That first goal was an absolute, absolutely shocking from beginning to end. <laughs> like, Sessegnon, like, Saka absolutely squeezed. He did not yeah. have a good day. He tries to show Saka onto his right foot. And Saka's done it a few times this season. He did it against Leeds. I think he's done it in a few other games where they've shown him onto his right foot and he's fired it across the box and mm. he's still gone in. Setignon tries to show him on his weak foot, but Saka's so good, he can do it anyway. But Loris has got to be doing better there. Yeah. Like, got to be doing better there. Mm. Um, and then the second goal, Erdegaard again. I think, arguably, another keeper gets to that. It's not a rocket. It's not like... It doesn't That's roll true, along the ground. Think- I think it's a fairly tame shot, but it's targeted. I think another mm-hmm. keeper, if that's De Gea, mm. if that's Edison, if that's Allison, they save that all day. So I think yeah. Spurs, we're kind of seeing now, we've been seeing for a while where the gaps in that squad are. And mm. yesterday it was fucking obvious. And Kulosevsky, they rely on him so much. I thought he actually provided a bit of a threat to us. But when they took him off for Ben Davies in the 80th minute, I was like, well, here we go. Pack up and go home, boys. That's it. We're done. Um, But I'm going to go to Adam first. Your thoughts on the game. Um, And I'll go to you, Andy. We can talk about Spurs and Arsenal. But Adam, you first. Yeah, I'll start off with Spurs then. I thought they were scared. They were just the amount of like just time they were giving to like Saka, for example. Like you say, Odegaard was afforded so much time on the ball. And it, it surprises me and it doesn't surprise me. But Conte, the way he sets up is very much the same. But it almost felt like it was still a message to the people high above at Spurs to say, this is the shower of shit I've got right now. These are the <laughs> players I've this? got. Yeah. And you look at this, 
there's no yeah. way I'm going to take this squad yeah. to your Pochettino levels where you take the existing core group on a cheap and try and get them to be a yeah. top four team. There's no chance of that. And it was really there, very evident. Um, the fact that he doesn't trust half the players that they bought, you know, Jed yeah. Spence well, springs to mind. Of them you know, like, like, this is the thing, want, like, yeah. This is where you I, can tell, I struggle. You can tell who are Conte buys, who are definitely not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. He makes it pretty clear, like as well. I think, but you're right. I think Conte is <laughs> looked yesterday more than ever. It looked like he had one foot out the door, and it looks yeah. like he's kind of. He's They're all sick club. of each other. I think the Spurs fans don't like him. He doesn't particularly like the club. Like it feels like it's getting really quite toxic there they like yeah. spurs do like to play attractive football they've they've always been shit but they've always been shit playing attractive football now the shit playing not attractive football <laughs> and i think maybe the fans are getting a little bit sick of it um but andy what did you make of tottenham and then we'll kind of wax lyrical about arsenal for a bit i, th- I think tottenham uh, again like although they've um invested a little bit they still got a very at the very average of key positions mm-hmm. at the moment, you know, Eric Dyer shouldn't is not gonna shouldn't be a starting centre back for a team yeah. as far as to be set for me. Don't to be fair to him, compared to where he was 18 months ago, he has improved, he got mm-hmm. himself back to the England mm-hmm. squad. So, you know, he was a better player than he was showing, but at the same but at the same time, would he start for you know, even Newcastle, United, Arsenal, mm. you know, those kind of teams that are in and around you, absolutely no, he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of it. Lengley as well, couldn't really get much of a game at Barcelona, you know, not particularly great. And I think apart from Romero, um, their defence is very, very lightweight as well. You know, for example, like Matt Doherty, he was a player that Wolves were quite happy mm. to get rid of, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah, they didn't fight for him. Yeah, No, they were quite happy to let him go. Ryan Sessi's done as well. He's been there a few years now at this point, about three years, I think, at this point. He hasn't really uh, pushed on, I don't think, no. in terms I of I think he game. had an absolute... Shocker, yeah, yesterday. he was sucker, 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 absolutely rinsed him. But then again, like he's not really, um, he's either you know, I think playing at left wing back is a hard, hard position to play, yeah, and you've yeah. got to be some yeah. caliber of player. And I think when he, you know, when Conte's been over in Italy, it's easy to find players who are used to playing in that kind of system, whereas in England. Mm. That isn't quite as common, and I think uh, with Conte and uh, Tottenham, I think you've you've alluded it to as well, Rory. Uh, that it feels like a marriage of convenience. Conte yeah. needed a job, Tottenham needed a manager, and that's what uh, that yeah. uh, you know they got obviously into the Champions League and they achieved something in the interim. Um, whereas I think it was always going to fall apart because. Daniel Levy's not going to invest on the kind of players, the calibre of players that Conte needs. Uh, they've obviously got their own structure at the club where Patriarchy is buying his own kind of players. Whether he's getting any uh, pushback, I mean, he might he might well be recalled back to Italy for non-football. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> so maybe it's just, maybe it's just <laughs> stupid shit before he goes. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it feels like there isn't that... Um, synchronization you know you look at Brighton as an example there's a mm-hmm. clear synchronization between this is how the manager wants to play football these are the players that could fit in with mm-hmm. that whereas I feel that hasn't been done um, at Tottenham 
Yeah, I feel like it's even a step beyond that with like Brighton, where it's like it's not even how the manager wants to play football, it's how the club wants to play football. And we find a manager who plays like that, and we find players who play like that because they've lost Graham Graham Potter, they've lost half of their coaching staff, they've lost their head of recruitment, they've lost everything, and the club just rolls on as if nothing's happened mm. because there's that clear identity. And I think this is what United are trying to get now, it's what Arsenal are instilling now, it's what like Liverpool. I think still have. They just need to throw some money at it. Like City have it. Like these clubs that do, they, any club, no matter who you are, you need a clear idea. And Spurs, their idea is qualify for the Champions League. Like that's their idea. Mm. Like they don't have how they're going to get there. It's just, well, that's what, that's what we want to do. So we've got a big stadium to pay for. Therefore we need to be top four. (laughs) the The thing is, I'm sorry, Spurs fans, but from an Arsenal fan, we went through fucking years of not being able to buy players because we had to pay for an expensive stadium. Your stadium was more expensive than ours. Like, this could take a while. Like, you have to pay it off and you can't go out and spend 60, 70 million on players and get the calibre that you need. And the way the market's going, the money's going ridiculous. Like, it it feels like they're not going to be able to compete on that level while they're still paying off that stadium. I think this is what we're seeing now. And I think for the owners, they have to be sensible, but it's fucking grim to watch it because we were there with Arsenal. Arsene Wenger performed miracles keeping us in the Champions League. Without him, we wouldn't have been there for 10 years because we were not spending money and we were selling every player that was anywhere near decent. Keep an eye on Harry Kane because if the club needs the money, he's only got two years left. He couldn't be around. He, he might not be around for much longer. But I think I saw I saw a Spurs fan like a couple of weeks ago going, "Let's just let's just forget all the bad stuff that happened and just bring Pochettino back." Oh <laughs> God! Like the ex that that's, won't move on. Yeah, that's a st- I think that's a stage they're at. But you know what? I can guarantee Pochettino the way he talks about it. He he probably he probably would go back in a heartbeat. And yeah, I feel think good about themselves for I- a bit. I think he will be the next Spurs manager. I think, I think it's like think already pretty back. much agreed. Like, I think he will be the next one. I, I think he will. And I think, let's be honest, he took Spurs to a Champions League final. Like, he's got... He did all right. Won, yeah, even yeah. though he's won fuck all, which is in the great tradition of Spurs managers. <laughs> <laughs> in the relative grand scheme of achieving fuck all, he's done it better than everybody, yeah. anybody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's, he's achieved fuck all <laughs> in a more aesthetically pleasing way and played some great football and yeah. brought through, you know, he was able to bring the likes of Deli Ali from NK mm-hmm. Dons and turn them into really good players. Yeah. If it's not him and he's somebody else like that who can um, do be a project, I, mean, I would arguably say Graham Potter would have been a better fit for yeah. what Spurs are trying to achieve. Yeah. But obviously, yeah. he went all full Voldemort. He still might be available at the end of the season. Yeah, probably, I think... probably, he'll probably be available at the end of a month. <laughs> <laughs> but... Oh, I am enjoying that down at Stamford Bridge. I am enjoying that. But just quickly, before we move on, we need to talk about Brighton Liverpool. Um, AFC Finners has very quickly jumped in and said, I think Nketiah could become Arsenal's Rashford. Now, look, Nketiah is... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna be saying that, but he put in a hell of a shift and has been putting in a hell of a shift since Jesus dropped out. Everyone said once Jesus was injured, oh, Arsenal are going to collapse. And Ketty has come in five goals in six games. I think it is um, unbelievably clinical and actually added so much to his game. I wanted to give him his flowers before we move on because he that kid has bulked up. And there's a moment where he chips the ball over. I think it's Eric Dyer. Absolutely beautiful. And two moments that I need to talk, both provided by Gabriel Martinelli. One where he 
um, controlled it with his back in front of Romero, and Romero looked like he was going to throttle him. Um, <laughs> and at the end of the game, you know the spider camera that comes down on the yes, pitch? Yes, I saw that. Um, Martinelli threw his scarf on the spider camera, so this morning there would have been a Tottenham employee angrily trying to grasp at the, <laughs> at the scarf to get it off, and just that image cheers me up. So thank you. Um, we do very quickly also need to talk about the Tottenham fan who kicked Aaron Ramsdale. Um the fuck is this? The mm. fuck is this? It's happening quite like it, it looks like he was Hogwarts slash Green Street w- wannabe, <laughs> didn't he? <It> just like <laughs> it happened last year, Leicester against Forest. Yeah. It's happening increasingly. The security in stadiums needs to be looked at. Jane, I know I don't want to get all pearl clutching and like, but that's honestly, I think Tottenham, like obviously I hate Tottenham, but I think there should be like fines, there should be something, some kind of penalty. If a if a player is attacked on your pitch by a supporter. That is like, that's fucking serious. That is For serious. For me, it was just how blasé the steward was. He kind of just pushed him just like, oh. back in like, yeah. like I, th- surely. I, think, I think fans need to get a grip of themselves. What the fuck is that? Because yeah, uh, so I think you see, I think maybe, maybe I'm just hypothesizing here, but I think because of like the TikTok generation, the yeah. social media generation, there seems to feel be a need to create Mm-hmm. scenes drama. in inverted yeah. comma, a drama and viral content and stuff like that and i think people are just sort of going out of their way to you know put attention onto themselves yeah. and all, a bunch of attention seekers um you know we all love football but i've never once thought you know what i'm gonna run onto a pitch and like somebody. kick <laughs> another human being because... yeah because if you if you did that if you if you would not play football you went out in the street and just indiscriminately twatted somebody you would probably spend a little time in the neck yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think honestly I, I just it really really obviously pissed me off and I just thought like <laughs> Yeah, grown men, grown men. What is mm. what is happening in your life if that is your reaction to something? The force is like, going well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, the wife's left and you can't see the kids, kind of thing. But um, I thought Arteta showed some incredible man management around oh, that yeah. whole thing, especially with Shaka. That moment, that, that moment <laughs> is so funny. Where he's like, he's finally dragging Ramsdale away. He's got a smile on his face. He's like, oh fuck, it's granite, and just runs. <laughs> granite is ready to go. He, he, did, he didn't run that fast in his playing days. I swear. <laughs> oh, yeah, he never went that quick. Never went that quick. But it did to wrap up finally on this Arsenal bit. It did remind me of the Tony Adams quote, who said, "You always need seven. You need seven in your team that if there's a fight." they're going to turn up. And for the first time in fucking <laughs> years, I think Arsenal have got their seven. I genuinely think we showed that fight. Richarlison is a knobhead. That's it. We're leaving it there. We need to talk about Liverpool-Brighton. Um, This Liverpool plan of just waiting for summer to arrive and Bellingham to turn up doesn't seem to be working. How are they going to do in the meantime? <laughs> um, it's Andy, let's get your Liverpool view and then Adam, I'll go to you for Brighton. I think Liverpool, similar to Manchester United in some ways, I think because of the situation that the owners have put out, they wanted to sell the club. It's clear that they've reined back the spending in response to that. I think it's, you know, it's an ageing squad. It's a, a much of the same players that were there four, five, six years ago. Uh, the likes of Firmino, Henderson, uh, James Milner, uh, Joe Gomez. They've been there for a few years now. Um, and... They haven't. The squad hasn't been refreshed as you know as quickly as efficiently as Klopp would like. And I think there seems to be this assumption from Liverpool fans. And I don't know where it's come from that 
they're automatically getting Jude Bellingham. I, I don't know where it's come from, but yeah. it's, it feels that they've made an automatic assumption that we're going to get Jude Bellingham, yada, 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 without considering, number one, they're going to need to play Champions League football. And as it stands at the moment, they won't be because there's a 10-point yeah. gap between United and Liverpool. And as I said, there's still half a season left, but it's not looking particularly great for them. Um, and it's got shades of uh, Klopp's last season at Dortmund, mm where, again, they struggled to replace names that had left. They struggled to regenerate the squad of the personnel that was needed. Um, and I felt, you know, to make another similarity as well with um, Darren Nunes, I think I remember um, in Klopp's last season, um, the Mobile got purchased yes. for um, Dortmund game. Big yes. money, big expectations, a big goal scorer record, and got like shout. two yeah, or three yeah. league goals. And I think uh, Liverpool, when they spend big, they have to make it count because yeah. they can't yeah, afford yeah. to just do the same thing six months later. You know, a bit yeah, like Chelsea yeah. are doing. Yeah. I think maybe that's <laughs> six where... days later. Yeah, six six days, always... oh, another days. one. Yeah, <laughs> six days later. I think that that's where the difficulty is coming for them. And I feel more so Liverpool fan. I would be sort of really, really concerned because um, you know. Again, Trent Alexander Arnold. You know, one week he's the best right back that's ever lived. Two, he can't. You know, and this last week he can't defend the shit as per normal. The real solution is that stop pretending he's a right back. He isn't. Stick him through the field, and you might go somewhere. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and I think with Gapko as well, it's early days, but he hasn't looked. They need someone to come think, and make an immediate impact. And I think. I think oh, also right, coming. Been... Sorry, but like coming into a struggling team, you're never gonna just like. Yeah, like Luis Diaz came in and started tearing it up because Liverpool were tearing it up. And it's like, yeah. oh, this is easy to play. I'm just smashing goals in because we're unbelievable. Coming into a team that's just, obviously, it's not working. It could be that thing. Yeah, it's just more difficult. I think Nunez is getting a bit of a rough deal. His goal is, he misses some absolute sitters. He should have like as many goals as Haaland, but his goal record actually isn't that bad. I feel like he's getting a bit of a rough deal. But again, he's part of a Liverpool team I suppose, that aren't, I suppose, yeah, aren't I Liverpool the two years ago, eh? Yeah, I mean, he's got five in like 13 games, which I think if you've paid... It's not bad. Five, it's not bad, but if you pay £75 million for a striker, you, you, you would expect more goals. It's only Haaland that's bloody twi like twisted this thing where you think... Because Gabriel Jesus for Arsenal has been an incredible signing, and he has, but he's got five goals. Like it's if you know what I mean. It's it's all about perspective, I think. And I think like if he's in a struggling team and he does miss sitters, he does like he's such a confusing player. But I think he's getting a bit of a rough deal. But we needed to move on to Brighton because it's not only Liverpool being terrible. Brighton, fucking brilliant! We're, Jesus Christ, we're gonna see them in Europe, right? They're gonna make it in Europe this year, Adam. Yeah, yeah, I think there's a very good chance that they'll be in Europe. And I think just to kind of talk about Brighton, that squad that faced Liverpool only cost 31 million in total. So it goes to show you how astute they've been in the marketplace. Yeah. The one thing I was going to say about Liverpool is they are missing a replacement for Michael Edwards. It's very clear that transfer yeah. strategy yeah, yeah, yeah. has been going by the wayside. Mm -hmm. But on Brighton, I think the thing that Deserbi has added recently is they are so much more clinical when it comes to it because I think you can talk about possession this is always associated with Brighton slash Deserby but what he's made them do is be more clinical on the counter-attacks they're taking their chances mm -hmm. you know when you're seeing Danny Welbeck do Gaza-esque kind of goals <laughs> and then Solly <laughs> wow, March as well Welbeck. 
So yeah, I've got Where did he come from as well. as well? That clinical yeah. goal for that second one in particular was mm-hmm. just beautiful, absolutely yeah. beautiful. You would have thought Dominico Berardi would have just scored that goal, <laughs> not Solly March. So I think that's the element that he's improved. And it's interesting about the Trossard story as well. The mm-hmm. fact that even from the fact that it sounds like there's been a clash, he's been isolated from the squad, he's been told to basically do one. So it's clear that he's got an identity in terms of the squad doesn't want anyone to disrupt the flow and it looks like they'll just crack on like you mm-hmm. say about the fact that they had Potter and his whole team kind of go they're just continuing it and they just that philosophy still seems to be there regardless if the Zerbi is there for the future so full of praise for Brighton it's yeah. just a question can they keep it going because you know Fulham have been doing quite well of late as well mm-hmm. so yeah Fulham are unbelievable that momentum as well I know they've got that unlucky result against Newcastle mm-hmm. um yeah just full of praise. And you look at like the players like Levy Colwell, who they got from loan from Chelsea. Again, he yeah, looks yeah. like a hell of a player. He's, be he's interesting been, to see if he stays at Chelsea as yeah. well. Yeah. I think yeah, as well yeah. with uh, Colwell, there was rumours, I was reading an article in The Athletic earlier, apparently he's been considered uh, for the England squad. Wow. Um, as a potential His performances have been really option. good. Yeah. And to be fair, like it's uh, at, at sort of the centre-back position, it's not unreasonable to be wanted mm-hmm. to try somebody out. A couple yeah, of years, yeah. but I think also another one I want to shout out is uh, Mitoma. Oh uh, God, I love he, that guy! Yeah. I just love he, him. I love he him. Was, Incredible. He was, he was given. He was given uh, Alexander Arnold and Salah right or going over. Mm. Uh, he's just. He's such an exciting player. Pounds. There's this. There's this like rebirth of Japanese football at the moment, and like Celtic are kind of weirdly leading the way. <laughs> but there's yeah. like a lot of Japanese players coming over to Europe now, and you're like, damn, they are just super. But they've been coming over to Ger- yeah, they've been coming over to Ger- like Germany for years, yeah. haven't yeah. they? It was Doan, right? Doan, Kamada, Asano. Yeah, I think. Um, but yeah, it, se- it seems that I think as the markets are inflating to such a high level, yeah. I think people, clubs like Brighton are trying to get ahead of the curve and go, mm-hmm. right, if you try to buy a, a player from Europe, who's already at an established European club or from like a who's Argentinian or Brazilian, mm-hmm. it's invariably going to cost a lot of money yeah. um, or go to other clubs. And I think if you look at the Asian market a bit more or the, or the less renowned South American nations mm-hmm. in the like in Stupian, uh, Kaiser, yeah, Ecuador and, now is yeah, popping so, off. Yeah, 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 and you don't get those kind of players without good scouting, good yeah, networks. Yeah. That yeah. is years and years of putting a, a system in place to be able to pick out those kind of players. Yeah, and I think yeah. they also take a risk as well because I think the reason why mm-hmm. I'll give you Mo- Moises Kakeda as an example of this. Yeah. I remember just before we signed to Brighton, it was Manchester United are very, very close to signing him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now they didn't in the end. And I suspect it's because they probably had doubts as to whether he could perform at Premier League level. Uh, whereas Brighton are willing to take that gamble. Because when you bring the likes of Estupia and Kakoda from the leagues that they've come from, there's no guarantee that they're going oh, to be God, able to yeah. adapt, yeah, yeah, be yeah. successful. And yeah. but uh, they've obviously made a calculated risk that, that they is going to come off, and, and it has done. And I think, well, Caicedo, yeah. who you're talking about, linked today to guess who? Guess who Arsenal. he's linked to? Chelsea. Of course, it is 75 <laughs> million. The spending never ends down at Stamford Bridge. Unfortunately, I was going to say Chelsea might end up there. I mean. Chelsea are quite accommodated to stroppy Belgian wingers. So <laughs> yes. Trossard might end up there as well. Have him. Absolutely have him. The, uh, we are overrunning. So I'm just very, very, yes, very lots. quickly going to say on the Mudrick deal, if it took 100 million 
and an eight-year contract to get him, then you're more than welcome to him. Just take him. I do not want to be offering players eight-year contracts at 150 grand a week. We offered him 37 and we're like, you're, you're 22, get a grip. You are not coming in at 100 grand a week. If that's what it takes, have him do yeah. it. Fine. Knock yourselves mm-hmm. out. I'm glad that Arsenal didn't just panic. Arsenal of old would have been like, okay, yeah, fuck it, fine, we'll pay. I'm so glad we didn't. We'll I'd, move on I'd, to someone else and it'll be... I was going to say that one person is probably telling you it's great. <laughs> or throwing his uh, remote control at the TV. He's probably Bramovic. He's had to sell the club. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's very clear that he's pro-Putin. And I know it shouldn't be too political there. Well, we're going to talk about it anyway, Andy. We have <laughs> yeah. to very quickly say... Are we comfortable with football? Like, I know now we're all pro-Ukraine. I want to put that right at the front, right? Definitely pro-Ukraine. However, I don't know if I'm comfortable with transfer fees in football being used in military forces. I feel like this is a gate or a path that shouldn't be gone down. I know it's a bit of a serious note to end on, but I genuinely feel like it's not being talked about. And Mm. that if this was another country, if this was let's say Saudi Arabia who are bombing the shit out of Yemen, maybe people wouldn't be looking on it as favorably. Like how do we feel mm. about this? Feels like a watershed moment. Go on, Andy. I was gonna say, yeah, it's certainly unusual and I think it's not something that I'd want to see in football, um, really. Um, however, I think if you consider Shakhtar Donetsk as a club, now they've not played at their home in the Donbass Arena of Donetsk region since 2014. So the area which they're supposed to be playing in was annexed by Russia. And then obviously you, you've got the war brought into it as well. And I think, although you might, you know, it's, it's not something you want to see, as I said, you can understand the personal motivations uh, of their president to do that because it's not they're not they're a football club that has been homeless for mm. going on 10 years um and i think when you think about their situation very very specifically um you can understand it but i think that's where you get a lot of what about who comes from because as you mm-hmm. say you know if another country uh did this like saudi arabia did exactly the same thing the people will perceive it differently mm-hmm. um so yeah i think it's like i said it's just not something i want to see making a habit yeah. out of but at the same time i can see the logic in that decision being made yeah. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. I can see that. What do you think, Adam? Like, I don't. I don't think I'm not. I'm not against the Ukrainian cause. I want to make no, no, that no. clear. But you know, what I mean, what do you, how do you feel about it, Adam? Uh, yeah, it, it is very awkward, isn't it? It's an awkward feeling. Um, but I was going to exactly kind of allude to the point that Andy's made is about Donetsk as a club. They've had a lot of shit thrown at them, not just relocation, you know, there's players they've had to release on freeze, for example. They're just still kind of having that debate with FIFA around fees, whether they should be owed. And they're currently suing FIFA in the process at the moment because it's gone to the um, courts of arbitration at the moment. So the fact that they've had to rehome in Poland temporarily and kind of try and make do i suppose with what they can do but i think there's just an appetite to go home and that's the Mm -hmm. thing ultimately um but yeah i appreciate money and football just seems like it's money laundering and there's something a bit seedy about it it just doesn't feel right but yeah i feel like it's just a a path or a a door i didn't really want opening in football but we'll leave it there um i think we've been fairly even-handed i hope if we haven't we'll definitely hear about it um but i think (laughs) we have been um so guys we're gonna leave it there for today on thursday we're gonna 
obviously preview the weekend, talk about the midweek games. You got Palace away. Oh, it's a tricky <laughs> one. We'll see how it goes. And we're going to talk a little bit of transfer nonsense. We will see you on Thursday. Anything to say before we go, guys? Nah, enjoyable as ever. No, uh, good times. Beautiful. Follow us on Twitter at Italian Anglo Pod, on Instagram at Anglo Italian Pod. Hit the like and subscribe button down here, and we will see you on Friday. Ciao, ciao.